HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Donuts and entrepreneurship. Did I mention donuts? Two of my favorite things, and we're good to talk about them for an hour yet. <laughs> that's it. That's the that's intro. That's, 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 that's the it. Intro. That's the shortest intro I think Alex has ever crafted because <laughs> he just really does love donuts and entrepreneurship. Okay, so our guest today is Zodi Two Jewel, and she brings vegan donuts from Baltimore to Brooklyn. Um, Zodi Two is the shop operator for the new Brooklyn Heights location of the very exciting Cloudy Donuts. This is their third location. They've been working on it for two years and they just celebrated their opening weekend this past weekend. So welcome to the show. Are you exhausted? And we can't wait to hear about opening weekend. Thank you. That was three questions in one. (laughs) First, let me start off with just a breath. (laughs) Because this weekend was nothing short of amazing. I feel feel good. I feel great. Great, great. (laughs) Um, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to be here with you guys. It's perfect. Cause like you said, we just had our opening weekend. Um, so let's talk about Saturday. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Saturday was the big day. Yes. Yeah. So Saturday, we actually had a private opening Thursday evening, um, that was exclusive to the neighborhood. Um, and that went really well. There were over a hundred plus people, and there was like no press. It was just all word of mouth and emails. So by Saturday, our grand opening, people were eager and ready. I believe the line started at about 9.15. We opened at 10 wow. a.m. Wow. Uh, but a fun thing that happened Saturday also is that the power went out at 3 a.m. in, midst, in the middle of production. Um, so... <laughs> No, yes. so your bakers and your team were in there, you know, beast was rising and that's it, that. Literally, literally the, um, Derek, the owner was on the sheeter making the dough and the machine just stopped. So yeah. what, like you said, it's been two years 
since we've had mm-hmm. this space and we didn't want to prolong it another day. We opened the kitchen door, we used natural light. They were pretty much already in motion with the batches. So I came in as early as I could and, and we opened at 10. <laughs> oh my God. What made the electricity go out? Was it just like, was it something that happened in the space or was it just something? No, so the entire block was out. Uh, there was a, there was some sort of shortage that happened with Conant. So a lot of the neighbors uh, and people that were waiting online said, you know, welcome to New York. That was like the catchphrase <laughs> for the day. <laughs> um, but the electricity came back on 30 minutes before we opened, which allowed us to be able to use our POS system and, and have our nitro coffee, um, which had also gone out because there was no electricity. Um, so guests were really, really, really thoughtful and kind and excited, but also slightly disappointed knowing that we could only make a small amount of donuts due to, you know, the shortage of electricity amidst production that night. Mm, but it's like a built-in high feast, basically. So it's not a bad thing. They're going to yeah. definitely have to come back. Exactly. Someone said, we waited two years. What's another day? And Sunday <laughs> proved to be nothing short of a line. And we sold out in about an hour and a half. Wow. So did you take us back a little bit? Um, and tell us about what Cloudy Donuts is, where it came from. Tell us about the, the backstory. Absolutely. So Cloudy Donut uh, was established in 2020. Um, so we're a very, very, very young company. Uh, we were established in 2020, and we started with one shop in the Hamilton Lorville neighborhood, which is very similar to our Brooklyn Heights neighborhood. Um, very insular communities surrounded by schools and colleges uh, near Morgan State University in Baltimore. Um, and we grew really fast because there was already, we took over an existing business. Um, and when we bought that business, we changed the name but kept the same ingredients and expanded the menu. So there were already people that were coming to this space and this location, um, which allowed us to scale and a little under a year to our second location, which we opened last year in Federal Hill, and now our third location here in Brooklyn Heights. So Cloudy Donut is a 100% vegan donut shop. All of our donuts are small batched and handcrafted. Um, we have 44 plus flavors. And now um, just this year, moving into the new year, we're rolling out, we're going to be rolling out some vegan desserts such as um, cinnamon rolls and uh, cookies, all, of course, 100% vegan. You got to sneak peek of some of those cookies and let me tell you, I am excited for that. Um, (laughs) Tell us why, first of all, where does the name come from? Why Cloudy Donuts? Yes. So Cloudy Donut, the signature, the staple of the brand is our, our plain powdered sugar donut. And when you bite into that donut, it is literally like biting into a cloud. People say, when they describe the donut, they say it's very fluffy and airy. So when Derek, the owner of the brand, bit into the donut, um, he was was looking to just partner with this existing brand. And when he had this donut, he said, this tastes like a cloud. And hence, he came with the name Cloudy Donut. I'm on your website, too. I'm looking at all these fantastic flavors (laughs) 
names and, and such. It looks amazing. I, I need a trip to Karate very, very soon. Very excited. Yes, you gotta come see us. Who does the branding for the name? Because I mean, it is well branded. There's like fun names like Sexual Chocolate and Margarita, and who does all that development and, and brands the name? Absolutely. So, so Derek uh, again, um, Derek Falcon is the owner of Cloudy Donut, um, and he's also uh, my partner and best friend and all the things. And so we do everything together. Um, he came up with all of the rest, uh, all of the ideas for the donuts. And when we first started, we were partnering with uh, a chef who they basically sat together and came up and came up with a menu and the recipes and things like that. Um, but Derek is the visionary for the brand. He also designs all the stores. So our Brooklyn location and our two Baltimore, Baltimore locations all have the same materials. Um, you know, we have the same marble. We source the same um corn silk tile, all of our, everyone that we work with for the most part are actually um, friends and family out of Baltimore that traveled here to Brooklyn to help us set up and open. Um, and so the consistency of the brand and the taste of the brand comes from Derek's just big vision. And, you know, he tells me his ideas and then I bring them into action and fruition. So I do all of the marketing myself. Um, with no marketing or PR background at all. Um, but I was a teacher for a really long time, which helps me with patience um, that you absolutely <laughs> need in food and beverage. So <laughs> um, yep. we're a very young brand, and right now everything is in-house. It's We're doing all of it ourselves. I think you mentioned that it took almost two years to get the Brooklyn location open. Can you tell us a little bit about the opening process? Did you plan on it taking that long? And, and what were some of the things that um, made that, that timeline what it was? Well, we got this space, um, and I'm actually sitting in it right now. So as we as we have this conversation, people are like walking by, like, are you open? Because um, the anticipation <laughs> has been high for so long. As you mentioned, we got the space in 2020 with the full intent of opening with no less than a year later. Um, because... That's what happened in, in Baltimore for us. Now, again, it's important to note that we source all of our materials. For example, our plaster, our wall is, it's like a custom plaster on our walls. The person who does that um, lives in Baltimore. So we didn't factor in COVID first. Uh, we were only two months into COVID when we, when we got this space. Uh, two to three months into COVID. So we couldn't foresee that there was going to be such a huge back order on supplies. Um, and then people's schedules were just not as open due to COVID. So the pandemic really put a damper um, on our ability to open as, as early as we would have liked. But it also allowed us um, to take our time to really get the store right. Um, so I got tied up on the custom plaster. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, well, I got myself. Do you have something against sheetrock? <laughs> custom plaster means. So you know, it has. It's a very like urban kind of rustic feel, but then the corn silk tiles ties in like a New York City subway. So again, me not being the designer, I can't tell you what the ideology was behind it. But anytime someone comes into our shops, so one of the first things they do is touch the wall. 
because it's so <laughs> textured. I love it. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so you guys held out for the custom blaster and it is in the store in Brooklyn now. It is. It is. And another thing that um, that is just when you talk about, you know, the difference between the many differences between sourcing in Baltimore and Brooklyn is I went to the stone yard to pick marble uh, for our countertops and I was quoted $30,000 at the stone yard here. And we got our marble in Baltimore for $12,000. So our team got our marble. marble. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly what we did. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So tell me, did your was your landlord flexible, and did it did they help you out during the like delays, or you can't yes. for an additional year? Yeah. So when we first got the space, we actually paid the first year up front. Oh wow! Because we just knew we'd be open by the following year, and we'd be able to generate the revenue that would cover the rent. So, as you can imagine, we we actually we actually signed a, a five year lease. We're in year three. Hmm. We're moving into year three as the you know the new year comes. So, from what we've seen this weekend, there there won't be um, you know it's been highly anticipated. People are excited, and we have the option to extend if we like. Um, but the 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 neighborhood has been the most helpful um, and the most excited. Tell us about the neighborhood and your choice of location here. So you, you know, the brand is from Baltimore. Your first two locations are there. And I know, you know, Derek, it looks like has other locations also in Baltimore. So why, why Brooklyn Heights? How did you guys land on that? Yeah, so we were initially looking at Cobble Hill. And we stayed, we stayed at an Airbnb in Cobble Hill in uh, 2020, like the beginning of the year. We stayed in an Airbnb. And we would drive around and Derek watched a lot of like walking tours on YouTube of various neighborhoods. They're actually people, they're people. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. They do like walking tours of neighborhoods and it's like they have a camera on their hat or something and they just walk through locations. So interesting. (laughs) So he did a lot of those and that's how he found out about Cobble Hill and when we came to Cobble Hill, one night he just happened to be driving around. It was like 12 a.m. and I was exhausted, so I stayed home. So I can't take credit for finding this place. Um, but he found this lovely storefront um, right off of Jerolaman, which is like one of the most romantic streets in Brooklyn. And we, the next steps were just to, you know, to get the get the space. Um, and, and we were... For me, I come into Cloudy Donut as a huge community advocate. That's like my strong suit. Um, I was a former neighbor, like I was on the board of my neighborhood association um, when I lived in DC. So I knew one of the first things we had to do when we moved into Brooklyn Heights was reach reach out to the Brooklyn Heights Neighborhood Association, as well as the Willowtown Association, which is the insular community that we're in inside of Brooklyn Heights. and reach out to Cobble Hill, and you know we want to stretch. It's not we're we're not just a donut shop that's like just Brooklyn Heights, right? We want to we want to be all over um, as far as Brooklyn and New York City goes, um, with respect to visibility. Not popping up a bunch of other shops right now. <laughs> um, so they were very receptive, and the president of the Willow Heights Neighborhood Association. 
um, Linda Villarusso really helped me um, coming into the neighborhood, introducing me to local um, vendors and, and, and other local businesses and orchestrated the ribbon cutting. And what I later found, I later found out that night, we were the first business to incorporate the neighborhood into their opening. Um, everyone else kind of just like opened their store and then it was like, okay, we're here. And that was something I did not want to do. And in turn, by, you know, taking that extra time to shake hands and get to know people um, and give out lots of free product before we open, um, that allowed us to already have a built-in audience who already knew our names. And, and that was that was my biggest goal. So You're right. I think so many restaurants and shops don't do, like, don't put in the work to do the community, you know, to do the community outreach, you rely on press, you rely on other things, but like it's right. your neighbors who going to actually support your business day in and day out, especially something like donuts and coffee and all those kind of things. It's a really smart approach. Thank you. See, and I did that without a marketing background. I just have yeah. a feeling. <laughs> people, right? Knowing people. Tell us about the, the choice and as a business owner, to be 100% vegan parents? Yeah. So, again, we had already, we, Derek was already going to this coffee shop. I'm sorry, a donut shop uh, called, formerly known as Donut Alliance. He was already going to this place. It already was only open on the weekends, which is our model just in business period. Um, and he decided, um, wait, I forgot the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go back to that question because now I'm also intrigued, just like I got hung up on the plaster, the fact that you're only open on Saturday and Sunday. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm so sorry. This never happens. It's in my head, but I want to hear about that too, because that's okay. impressive that you're able to make the numbers work in New York City to only be open two days a week. Do you use the space during the week at all or how does that work? Yeah, so we're open Friday through Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. These are our hours right now. We are definitely going to shift some things around as we move into the new year after the holiday season. Um, but our model in general um, in Baltimore, for example, is only Saturday and Sunday, actually shorter hours from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, wow. So one, it builds anticipation excitement we put our flavors out every wednesday at noon so people are already like fantasizing pre-ordering and getting ready for the weekend to come see us and get their donuts um and then also we still work during the week like we work every day uh but the weekends is when we have our our service days open so it, it's worked thus far and what we also saw from other businesses is so many other businesses pivoted to just the weekend during COVID. Interesting. So are you able to, I would assume that you run a fairly lean staff then? Yeah, I mean, the hours that we have with one of our uh, crew members, um, and I, so many, a few of our staff members have actually come from like grocery stores like Trader Joe's or Whole Foods. And what I learned is that at Trader Joe's, their staff, they're just, um, their title is crew because you do so many things. And it's the same for when you work in like a, a, a small business like this, right? A new business. So some of our crew members come in three days a week for like 10 hours. So they're already getting roughly 30 hours. Um, so it's a, we're able to thus far 
um, have a small staff and we're still building community. Um, so we're still accepting applications and, and seeing how things go. But thus far, it's a long day. So no one's been asking for extra hours yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, but how great for, you know, the team to be able to, you know, like your working parent or something like that, be able to be there for you know, family to have those full days, other times off. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I know that a lot of people listening will probably, you know, have their ears perk up a little bit to, to sort of, you know, understand how you can make it. Because it's the, the the classic theory in New York, at least, is that the rent is so expensive, you essentially have to use your space twenty four hours a day creatively, yeah. just just to sort of turn a profit on the space. Which I'm not saying is correct or the way to go. Um, but it's, it's very, you know, encouraging to hear that you're able to do it, um, in a different way and give people uh, a little better quality of life. But I also think that to your point, Zodi, too, that during the pandemic, people realized that you don't have to, like, it's more expensive to be open all the time, too, because you have to staff it and have, like, three different shifts of team members or crew members. And I think that was, like, very eye-opening during the pandemic when we went down to reduced hours, like, the numbers actually still work because some of your costs go down, too. Absolutely. And then people realized too, they didn't have to work as hard as they thought they did. So yeah. trying to get people to come in, you know, more days and more hours, they've already come some, you know, the, the new idea of the work-life balance has been redefined. So yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Especially for our industry. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it's working for us thus far, but so we're open Friday through Sunday here in Brooklyn from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then we also have things that we do, like I said, during the week. Um, on Mondays, we do like a detail and inventory of the shop. And then on Thursdays, the, the team comes in, um, specifically the pastry team, to make the glazes for the weekend. Do you guys keep the same menu between your your um, all three locations, even though they're in different places? Yes, that is the goal. Um, we were able to do that successfully last weekend. Um, we are, we have a few more items here in Brooklyn than we do in Baltimore at this time. So the cinnamon rolls are coming to Baltimore. I repeat, the cinnamon rolls are coming to Baltimore. Everyone is in my DMs, like what is going on? Um, and of course, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, once you go to New York, you're big time, you know? So we are looking to adapt the same the same menu and the same really fun products in Baltimore as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. So it's fun to be able to test things in different markets too. Um, speaking of which, last question before we go on to our order fire, where, so you guys have three stores in basically two years. Are you already thinking about store number four and what your birth plans are? I will say just for me speaking, should we <laughs> get another store? I am open to a satellite store. Far less, mm -hmm. far less labor, far less overhead with staff, you know, all those things. So the most, the more simple, the better. Um, we do have a cloudy donut truck that will be making its way up here very soon. Um, so that'll be the next fun thing to happen, especially during like the spring. Cool. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. 
With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Entobox's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With BentoBox and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. BentoBox and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. That's getbento.com B-E-T-T-E-R. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones. And I'm your co-host, Darren Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, or just something you want to do for fun. Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium. It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're going to sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field, as well as an in-depth behind-the-scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape. We'll be covering everything from how to style your food, to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas, and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show. Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29. We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories, their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world. So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe and make sure to give us a follow at the Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram. Awesome. All right. Should we go to, should we order fire? Okay. So we usually do 10 questions. Okay. Uh, really, sort of quick answer. Favorite menu item? The sexual chocolate donut. I was wondering when we were going to get to that type. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Who came up with that one? We, uh, okay, Derek and I. So last Valentine's Day, we were making our menu for Valentine's Day, and we wanted to do a chocolate donut, but I was like, we should do a brownie on top. We tried the brownie. The recipe we had wasn't amazing, so we moved on to a chocolate fudge cake. And it was like very sexual and he thought of sexual chocolate directly alluding to coming to America and there you have it is still on the menu. I love it. I'm a chocolate donut guy. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> What's the most ordered menu item? 
the most ordered menu item would be the cinnamon sugar. We always have a sugar and a powdered on the menu. So that would be the most ordered, like one of our sugar donuts. And we're going to be offering them hot early in the morning. So it's next level. Yeah. Like donuts are good, but a hot donut is like, it's there. It's what it is. Yeah. They're probably all relatively similar, but I'm sure there's some differences. So what's the, do you know the best food cost item? The best food cost item? Yeah. I would say it's definitely going to be the powdered and cinnamon sugar. They're little to low ingredients necessary. Yep. Makes sense. What's something that you all are doing to make your business more sustainable? It could be in any sense of the word. So, ooh, exciting. Okay. So we actually, our cinnamon rolls are made from our donut holes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So for years, people have been saying, what do you, you guys should make donut holes. Like, what are you doing with the donut holes? And in fact, they are now the cinnamon rolls. Very cool. Very smart. You get to repurpose ingredients. Okay. Um, tell us, you, you talked about the, um, obviously the, hours and, and lower uh, crew numbers perhaps but how do you plan to hire and keep really great employees i'm learning that i have to change my approach if i want the best results because first of all people are people and people be people in <laughs> so no one no one is a robot and no one is going to walk into a business with the same mindset that you do unless you've started it together um, so with that being said, I'm learning to be a lot more professionally personal, um, which allows me to, to get to know my employees more than just what they do here. Um, and, and I find, and, and just from reading books, that when you're interested in a person, they become more interested in you. So I'm not going to be like going out to dinner with them, but just getting to know them more. We. We've asked for their, we have a, a cloudy donut playlist that we have curated of all the stores, but we've asked them to list some of their top five songs to add to the playlist. Because sometimes, you know, hearing, being a part of that experience is something that's fun for them. Um, and myself and one of our crew members, um, we're doing a coffee tasting this weekend. Um, we work with a local roastery, Black Acres Roastery out of Baltimore, um, but we want to do some some cool collabs and things like that. So bringing bringing you know staff that are interested in these things um, into environments that can enhance our environment at the shop is is a way I think will boost morale. Definitely, yeah. Well, people want to feel appreciated and they want to feel like they're part of something. That's so true. I think that's more motivating yeah. than it's more motivating than money sometimes. Um, what about your worst building and developing moment? Oof. It was two years, yeah. so you can just pick one. Yeah. Um, I would say my worst building and developing moment would be walking into, in the very beginning, I walked into uh, the hiring process and onboarding process, assuming that everybody would be like me when it came to professionalism. And that's what I found to be the most disappointing. I wasn't able to see... Uh, people just for who they are and, and the value that they could bring. So sometimes 
you know, I had a, I had a, someone a few weeks ago in, in Baltimore and I was disappointed that they weren't able to show up to work. Um, cause we're just two days a week in Baltimore. So sometimes I'm so perplexed. Um, but I had to remember all the times they've showed up previously and all the hard work that they put in. And I had to really check myself in that moment, but it was difficult because I was short staffed. I'm not even in the same state and I just want you to do your job. So I had to like check back in and realize this person has shown up for me um, plenty of times before. So in this moment, I have to be understanding and there for them. That's very fair. Um, tell us your most influential role model outside of the hospitality industry. I would say my most, I, I heard your last interview and the gentleman said his mom and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I would definitely say uh, first my grandmother, um, my Nana, she really raised me. Like I learned how I was never in the kitchen. I'm not a chef at all. Derek does all the cooking um, at home and he's developed many of the recipes. So he's the, he's the chef without being classically trained. But what I do really well that I learned from my grandmother is how to set the table and curate the space. And that's how we've been able to scale within the short amount of time um, by just having that, that rearing. Um, that's my biggest role model in, in that space. She was very much a woman of society. And so she taught me the importance of community. And, and that's, yeah, I'd say my Nana. And it paid off in spades with, your, with the way that the community showed up for you guys so far. So. Exactly. Absolutely. What about your best business resource or piece of advice? The best piece of advice I would say that I am learning and to give to someone else would be if it isn't you and it isn't something, if not, if it isn't you or it's not something that you can grow into, you shouldn't be doing it. So sometimes people say like, oh, if you don't love it, you shouldn't do it. But a lot of times the things that we that we love, sometimes we outgrow that love because of all of the pain and frustration. So sometimes you have to continue to propel forward knowing that ultimately you'll grow into that love or you'll grow into that space. I never came into this wanting to sling donuts like I like, or you know, I, I had no dreams or aspirations of, of even having a brick and mortar business. But what I do know is this is going to be a vehicle for me to do the things that I really love. And on the way to that journey, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, even when I'm tired. So I have to, if I don't see the joy in the presence, I try to focus on the joy in the future. And if it's neither, then I don't want to do it. And I would encourage others to think about that as well. Uh, one thing you would tell a young hospitality professional about the path to ownership or to opening a restaurant. Uh, that it is, that there will be many sacrifices, sleep, social life, money, um, time. But if you're doing it because it's something, if you don't, if you can't see it outside of yourself, then I, I would say to refocus your vision. Um, if it, if your vision is only focused on you, then that's about as far as it's going to go. So your sacrifices have to be, be be bigger than you. Very true. Um, and last one, what is your why? Why did you choose to open a restaurant? I chose to 
go into the opening of a restaurant, right, with my partner, um, because one, I was already dating a restaurateur, and when you are dating, <laughs> so when it becomes you're, your business, it mm-hmm. becomes your business. It becomes your business, and the, your employees and everyone around you that thinks that you love it so much and you're always happy will say it's your baby. Um, so I was already immersed um, immersed in the lifestyle and. I believed in him and I ultimately realized that it was something that, that I could stand to benefit from outside of him. So I chose to keep going. I've already dedicated two and a half years. I said, why not maybe 10 more? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Very good. Um, thank you so much for, for chatting and telling us about Body Donor and um the story the long story of getting it open <laughs> how do we find cloudy donut on uh social and on the web absolutely so you can find cloudy donut on our website um donut is spelled d-o-n-u-t so cloudydonut.com we're on instagram at cloudy underscore donuts with an s and we're on tiktok on cloudy donut so as soon as you type in Cloudy Donut, all the things are kind of going to come up. And if you are interested in connecting with us about anything at all, um, we can be, you'll talk directly to me at info at cloudydonut.com. Awesome. Cool. You can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Donut NYC. Thanks so much, Libby, too. We appreciate the, uh, the stories. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you so much for having me. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.